Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 36, in which I interview Very Honored Soar Mim and Very Honored Frater MTO, the current sitting Hierophant and Premonstrator of Temple Thoth Amon Ra in Colorado. But first. In this new segment, I will be reading words from goldendawnpedia.com, spelled like it sounds. This episode is brought to you by the letter A. A for ob. A-B. It's the incorrect... Transliteration of of, spelled Aleph, that. Corrections Department. Most often, when you find a bet in the middle of a word, the sound is v, vet, as in the archangel. Gavriel, the Sephira Gevura, the air quotes Hebrew as passed down to us in phonetic translation by way of Paul Foster Case and others who, God bless them, probably never met a Jew, is, shall we say, inaccurate. Av. Interesting side note. Avot is plural. Fathers. The ending is feminine. My hypothesis, if you're talking about more than one father, then whatever you're talking about is feminine in relation to God. Which dovetails nicely into our other segment. Apparently, there were a few people who didn't realize that's Tom Cruise saying tech support in the movie Vanilla Sky. It's a reference to the tech dictionary, which is what I'm reading in this segment. And I'm not quoting from 08. A also spells admin. Admin. A contraction or shortening of the word administration is used as a noun to denote the actions involved in administering an organization. The clerical and executive decisions, actions, and duties necessary to the running of an organization, such as originating and answering mail, typing, filing, dispatching, applying policy, and all those actions, large and small, which make up an organization. Admin is also used to denote the action or fact of keeping auditors' reports, summary reports, worksheets, and other records related to an auditing session. He kept good admin, meaning that his summary report, auditor's report, and worksheets were neat, exactly on pattern, in proper sequence, and easily understood, as well as complete. His admin was bad. From the scribble and disorderly keeping of records of the session while it was in progress, one could not make out what had happened in the session. You will also see the word admin in connection with the three musts 
of a well-run organization. It is said that its ethics, tech, and admin must be in, which means they must be properly done, orderly, and effective. The word derives from minister, which means to serve. Administer means to manage, govern, to apply, or direct the application of laws or discipline, to conduct or execute religious offices, dispense rites. It comes from the Latin administrare, to manage, carry out, accomplish, to attend, wait, serve. In modern English, when they use administration, they mean management, or running a government, or the group that is in charge of the organization, or the state. Tonight, we will have two guests. And so, without further ado, very honored Sor Mim. Let's get to that interview, shall we? Greetings, Sor. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Hello there. How's the weather over there? I heard it's snowing. Uh, it was yesterday. It's pretty sunny and today. I can only imagine snow. Oh, I know. You're in California, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, actually really see snow until I moved here to Colorado. I'd seen dustings and ice. I'm a Texas girl. Oh, nice. What part of Texas? Uh, Weatherford. I have some family uh, from Dallas. Oh, yeah. It's not too far from Dallas. About maybe an hour. Society of Magical Artists. Are you familiar with those guys? Yes. I was forward to didn't happen yeah that was unfortunate well hopefully they'll reboot that and i guess a lot of people have been helping jeff to cover his expenses uh yeah that's good hopefully they'll be able to bring it back next year so i'd like to ask people would you mind telling me telling us a little bit about your name uh my magical name or my whatever you'd like um did you want to share your your earthly name as it were sure my earthly name is julie Mm mm-hmm um, and um, my magical name is, of course, um, my name that I uh, chose for myself upon my initiation into mm-hmm. the Golden Dawn. Um, mm-hmm. And the initials are M-I-M-M. Um, and I think, um, you know, those frauders and sorcerers in our order know what that means and what it sure. alludes to. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so my name is Julie. What did, do you happen to know what Julie means? That's one of the ones I'm not familiar with. Actually, I, I know it means youth or youthful. Okay. Um, and then verde, I know, is green. Oh, uh, actually, you know, that's a funny story, too. I'm the verde. Uh-huh. In Latin, and a birdie. Um, and anda means to go or to walk. Um, and green is verde. So, um, you know, some people used to laugh and say it means gringo. Um, but I, I was taught that it means... Um, the lady who walks the way of the green. Hmm. And youth, the youthful lady who walks the way of the green. Uh, the maiden. So how did you get started on the magical path? Um, well, I, I grew up in a family of Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, that always and, helps. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> and there were a lot of uh, traditions and, and other magical things that had kind of uh, come along with that. Um, but I really got into, I think, um, paganism and spirituality in general 
just from that. I learned a lot of herbal lore and teachings um, from my grandmother and my mother. Um, so I, I kind of had a lot of that. And it wasn't until my early teens, I was about 11 or 12, um, preteens that I decided to start looking into paganism and, and what it was and what it really meant. Um, and then I think I kind of started down that path. I got a couple of books on, I think, Wicca, where everybody kind of starts mm-hmm. um, to kind of uh, put more names to what it was that I was doing uh, that I learned from my family roots. Um, but it didn't really fit with me. So I think that lasted about a couple months. of Right. Um, before I stumbled upon traditional witchcraft. Um, And that really uh, struck a chord with me and and what I had already been practicing and what my family practiced. Um, So it kind of started out from there. And then uh, through my teens, it it really kind of flourished and grew. Um, My father was a farmer, um, my mom an herbalist as well. So we really kind of grew up with that. I I learned a lot of magical herbalism. And then... um, yeah, in college, I started getting more into the book learning, looking more into grimoires and, and different types of ceremonial magic. I went to Colorado for graduate school in 2007. Um, I found the Temple of Toth Amun-Ra in mm-hmm. 2008. I did some more um, soul searching and, and looking into what it was that I wanted to do before finally uh, just deciding to apply and, and took the plunge into the order. And, and it's kind of downhill from there. It was a very... Uh, exciting process, as I'm sure you know. But it, yeah, it's, yeah, it so really it's about was. seven years now. Yeah, um, I didn't actually take my initiation until uh, 2011, I think it was. Um, so a couple years later, oh, right. mm-hmm. uh, and it, it was kind of again a long process. Um, also, to go through our application process and probation or process that we have with our temple. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very selective. And who let in. So, um, yeah, now I've, I've been doing that for a few years now. And it's Very nice. Um, yeah, definitely made my life, made my life, let's say. And oh, at what point did ye old magic shoppy uh, come on on this scene? Well, a uh, very honored broader MTO and I, uh, we started out just doing, I think like everybody else, just doing our own little um, alchemical spagyrics and stuff at home, mm-hmm. uh, doing for friends and family and for ourselves, of course. It grew from there into doing some trade shows and some little fairs around town. Um, and then we had an Etsy shop for a while. We did that. But as we were still doing all of the um, trade shows and fairs, everybody kept asking us if we had an actual brick-and-mortar shop, which we hadn't. Um, so finally, uh, last year, we decided to go ahead and open it. That's so great. So shop in April of 2014. Yeah. Okay, so it was about four years building up from grassroots to Etsy to actual physical location. Exactly. Yeah, we've been around a while, but everybody's still surprised to to see us and find us. Very cool. Well, I hear about, you know, of course, I, uh, you know, speaking to people who are into these kinds of arts, uh, members of different Golden Dawn Orders, whenever I hear that someone's gone through Denver and I mention you know, did you go to Yield Magic Shop? Well, of course, you know. They... Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. My, my friend Drew is uh, staying here, and he, I believe he went to an alchemy workshop over there a month ago or something like that. Yes, I think he went to um, one of MTO's alchemy classes. From what I hear, you are the current sitting hierophant at that temple now? Yes, I am. 
how how is that experience? Oh, you know, it it's a heavy experience. Yes, yes, <laughs> it, it is. It's it's phenomenal. It it's um, it really does open your eyes to to a whole new light. Um, the energies are visible in a different light. Um, impressions are different. Images are different. Um, it, it really is a rather incredible experience. And the god form skin is green. Uh, ah. Should be right <laughs> green, at home yes. for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the better they fits as well. The god of agriculture, the one who goes through the... And it's interesting talking about coming from Catholicism into paganism, because here Osiris is both the wheel of the year, the uh, the vegetation which springs forth, and then the harvest, but then the vegetation which springs forth again, and thus representing the resurrection, and being, as it were, the proto-Christ that was recognized by the Rosicrucian brethren that put it all together into what we know as the neophyte ceremony. So it's it's a very beautiful point where that sort of that cross and that circle uh, find a common center. Exactly, and it's it's a as you know a very beautiful ceremony that the rebirth and and of course the death is as much a part of it as anything else. Um, and yeah, it, it's a very um, very profound experience yeah. for anybody who's gone through the neophyte initiation for sure. MTO had mentioned something about uh, the spirit bringing in the plant spirits into through Z formula? Yes, he's actually um, writing a bit on that right now. Um, so he hadn't really done a whole lot of work in herbalism or um, more nature work um, until myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we got together, he really started picking up some of the herbal lore and, and some of that folk magic uh, that I'd grown up with and started... Um, you know, it was a natural amalgamation within ceremonial magic as well to kind of bring those together. So he's uh, developing a Z formula ritual uh, to evoke the spirit of the white oak. Um, we've done it a few times in practice personally, and it, it's really pretty incredible. That sounds great. Yeah, I love hearing about things like that. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, the, the Z formulas, it's really easy to to modify or change. Um, yeah. We're taking some of my traditional witchcraft uh, folk uses as well with herbalism and taking some of that. Um, I do a lot of work with the plant spirits themselves. Um, you know, too often in magic or even in paganism, people use herbs as, as tools, um, which they can be and they are. Um, but we also don't always look at the fact that there's a real spirit behind them. There's um, a familiar there. Yeah. So intimately connected to who we are by by taking in the plant either through the lungs, through even sight, or through, he'd clearly taken ayahuasca, uh, or through eating it, we're, we're sending a program into our own nervous system, into our own bodies that, that causes certain, I mean, that basically it's, a, it's the, the, nature, the, the dance of nature that we're allowed to partake in, as opposed to the way, like you said, a lot of people think of plants, and they even they even extract the key ingredient thereafter and make it into some kind of powder, like cocaine or or you know the DMT that you smoke or something like that, rather than you know actually be patient and and have the natural experience that might involve throwing up. Yeah, you're exactly right. We see that too often. I'm getting my master's in herbal medicine right now, and. Um, a lot of what we learn is the active constituents within the plant. 
um, and we don't learn who the plant is. Um, and when you really start to work with a spirit like the white oak, you realize just how significant that is and how huge, how overwhelming the spirit of the white oak is. Yeah. Not only does it pull um, energies and spirits from other white oak trees and spirits from around the world, um, but also in the individual ones that may be in our very backyard as well. Um, so it's yeah. very, very powerful and something we can definitely tap into and, and work with them as familiars. Um, but That's we miss that too much, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, people grow up sometimes in our culture praying to God or Jesus, uh, thank you for the food, uh, but not necessarily thanking the food, but, you know, stopping to thank the tobacco or stopping to thank the the cannabis or or to really commune with what's happening rather than just getting more. And we lose so much in our culture that we're just scarfing down cheeseburgers from Jack in the Box and we don't even pay attention to what it is that we're eating. And so it's, it's, it's so the opposite of that. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and that's brilliant to, to give uh, reverence where it's due. Um, and, and yeah, you're, you're right in that there's something so simple as, as thanking our food that we don't even do anymore. Um, yeah. When just, what, 20 years ago, that was still even much more common. It, it feels as, as though we're definitely moving at a faster pace away from something that, that used to be so revered and, and magical about life. Yeah, yeah. And even within medicine, we see, um, you know, that, that these plants have evolved along with us, along with the illnesses that right. we now get. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's really interesting to see, you know, some people will send off for... For, for some, you know, gentle thing from around the world when they don't realize that the root that's in your backyard is going to be the <laughs> one that's cure what you have now. Hmm. These uh, parasites have, have evolved along with us and the plants as well. Uh, we all exist symbiotically. So taking that into, into consideration um, and realizing how interconnected everything really is. The enzymes that are written into our DNA... And the enzymes that are written into the DNA of the plants and, you know, the way that medicine itself works is just so fascinating to watch. It's, it's almost like language, but it's, it's so far much more intricate than any language humanity's come up with. It's an, an interplay of shapes in, in, reacting in, in different kinds of fluid and it's all written in the same language, our bodies and the plants that, you know, we interact with and everything. It's, there's so much more there that hasn't been uncovered. I think that in, in a way, there's a lot more there than uh, has been passed down to us even. That uh, there's, there's more in that, that the universe is showing us, the sutra that is the universe itself, as it were. Definitely. And, and that also what speaks to using plants whole. Um, rather than the isolated constituents within them, such as extracting DMT from, you know, mimosa hostilis root bark. Right. Um, it can take you places, and you will get insights and learn things, but it does not cause the uh, la purga or the purge that you get from ayahuasca and that type of healing. Right. Um, and, and they're all very different. Uh, you know, I advocate the use of ayahuasca in some situations, um, whereas others, I, I prefer to use DMT for its, its yeah. short um, I don't need to spend a whole day or weekend um, purging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So uh, I like my Chonga blends and, and I get my information when and where I need to with that. Yeah. Definitely yeah, that's the herb whole is important. I haven't had a proper ayahuasca experience, but I have had the DMT smoking experience. And really it was, it was that that made me open my eyes and say, oh, I really do need to not only start practicing yoga more, but make that kind of the focus of my life from here on out. I mean, it was it was just sort of a, oh, oh, okay. I mean, now I think of it as it was my neocortex coming in and reprogramming aspects of my hypothalamus. But at the time, it felt like God talking to me, <laughs> you know? Sure. But I don't think the two are necessarily mutually exclusive. Sometimes I lose people when I start using the brain terminology uh, because they prefer the more religious or new age terminology or vice versa. So, you know, teaching yoga classes, sometimes I'll talk about oxytocin instead of talking about love just so everybody can be on board. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's, that's good. Then. So, see, I, I do the same thing. My degrees are in psychology and um, I'm definitely a nut for the science and the neurotransmitters and all that yeah. fun. Uh, poisons. I'm, I'm wondering the practical, <laughs> if, if, if there's a, a lot of demand for people to poison their loved ones or um, hated ones, or if there's another usage of the word poison that I'm not all that familiar with. Actually, probably. Um, I use poisons in the way that other people would use the word um, psychedelics. Okay. Or entheogens, um, for example. Um, so anything that really kind of causes a change or shift in our consciousness, I consider to be poisonous to an effect. That um, makes sense. Okay, yeah, because if you take too much of it, then it's no good. No, no, quite often. <laughs> Um, and then some of those same herbs that can uh, cause that shift in consciousness or that change um, are the ones that are incredibly poisonous. Right. Uh, a lot with the old world witchcraft herbs. So I, I work with the Solanaceas, Belladonna, Mandrake, and Datura, Hembane, all of my friends. And um, those ones, you know, typically are regarded as the poisons, but but they are also um, so very, very close plant familiars for me as well. Um, so when we talk about poisons, I'm really talking about anything that you could possibly use to cause your mind to shift or change. Um, and that may be different for different people. Um, you can consider something like lavender, for example, to be a very entheogenic or psychedelic herb in a way. We put it in uh, baby lotion and powders to get children to calm down, for example. I had um, I had a friend who who was experimenting with the mandrake root, and uh, he had some pretty hellish experiences with that one. Do you know of any positive or practical use for mandrake root in that context? Oh, mandrake! Um, I, I find that surprising. Mandrake is uh, actually probably one of the most friendly of the really? earth to work with that wow. that I've. Found. Um, okay. It's okay. Incredible aphrodisiac. Um, my grandmother, uh, actually, mandrake is, is a big part of my history as well. Um, mandrake was a root that my grandmother used to tie a piece around my neck when I was younger. And she would call it the man. Um, didn't know what that plant was. I knew it was very important until, of course, I got older and realized that it was mandrake. Um, and I tried to really kind of force a relationship with mandrake the way that my grandmother did. Uh, I tried to be the old medicine woman as she was, and um, it didn't work. <laughs> uh, 
can't force a relationship with a plant. Um, but in, in that interim, uh, Datura found me. I see. And I've really developed that relationship with Datura. Um, she finds me anywhere I go. Um, and it's, you know, it's really um, a really close relationship, something that's always there. Plants come to me in dreams quite a bit as well. Hmm. Uh, so I see, you know, Mandrake, there's a lot of really good uh, uses for it, aphrodisiac for sure. One thing that, that we like to use a lot, uh, every year we have a big Yule party where we pretty much invite all of Denver. Um, but the only people who show up are our temple friends and a few customers and other close magical associates. And uh, one of the highlights of the evening is mandrake mead. Nice. Uh, that I make, and, and it is um, a lot of fun. It really is. It, it makes everybody jovial and uh, friends with everybody, very amorous. Um, so mandrake can be used a lot for um, gatherings. Um, it's definitely great for uh, using groups. So if you're doing any kind of ecstatic ritual work, mandrake is a good one. Um, and also for protection. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that, I know it, it's it's very popular in, in biblical scriptures and, and Shakespeare plays, uh, usually associated with insanity and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, so this is the first positive review I've heard. Yeah, I love Mandrake. You know, <laughs> with Belladonna, she can be a real bitch. So right. watch out. <laughs> Mandrake is definitely much more loving in, in my experience thus far. Very interesting. Now, do, do your herbs come from abroad or different sources? A variety of different sources. Some of them we grow ourselves, mm -hmm. especially of the more uh, poisonous herbs, um, just so that we can ensure where they come from, right. um, that they're grown appropriately and harvested appropriately. Um, other herbs, we have some manufacturers that, that have some really good products. We also have a few other friends, um, both overseas and in America as well, that grow some different herbs and some magical plants that we have on the shelf as well. So it really kind of depends. Um, um, and then I also have um, a lot of really good uh, herbalist friends as well who can help me find some some pretty rare uh, seeds and herbs and other fun things. I can imagine you must have a lot of fun preparing the incenses for all of the various uh, entrances to the various advancements. Oh, it is. It's, it's a lot <laughs> of fun. the highlights for me is the herbal work within ceremonial magic. <laughs> we used to put a little cayenne pepper in the tower card entrance oh. initiation. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've, I was known for putting a little too much in there and then people would start choking and we'd have to ventilate the temple. It kind of brought people out of the mood. So, you know, you oh. just have to put just enough, but not too much, just so the eyes start watering a little. But then you got to you got to air it all out, get some good Venusian, you know, mellow something going <laughs> You'd a bit more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was uh, some there was a particularly hot summer. And uh, we had air conditioners blasting in the temple just to make it kind of bearable. And then, of course, as we're setting up for the tower card, it's like, okay, shut them off. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let the sun do what it does. <laughs> do you yeah, have any, uh, any, any tips as far as that goes uh, that you'd be willing to share as far as things that work for particular initiations? Oh, you know, it's funny you ask. We were just talking about uh, frankincense. Mm -hmm. MTI. We're actually at the shop right now. 
Um, so if you hear a little noise in the background, uh, nice. those you know, are customers. Um, but I just got done making a, a, a mojo bag mm-hmm. for a customer who came. She needed um, some protection. And, you know, maybe it's from my Catholic roots. I'm not sure. But I use frankincense in almost everything. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that, um, We use that quite a bit. Um, and then it also depends, you know, on the initiation, what types of herbs you would use. So what else uh, What else do you sell at Yield Magic Shop besides herbs and poisons? Oh, you know, I like to think of us as, as one of those really um, curio shops with a bunch of different oddities and, and cool fun things for the magician and practicing witch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of uh, stangs and staves and wands, and um, we carry a lot of uh, skulls and dead things as well. Mm-hmm. I work a lot with blood and bone in my practice. So I, I like to keep that on hand. And you guys aren't actually in Denver City, right? No, we're actually in Lakewood, um, okay. right on the outskirts of Denver, um, but we're right on Colfax. Uh, so we're not hard, hard to find. Um, we're all the way west toward the mountains. And all of our products can be found um, at store.yieldmagicshop.com. Okay. And that's S-H-O-P-P-E. Oh, and old with an E as well. Right. <laughs> I always forget that. <laughs> Ye old magic shoppy. Yes. And thank you so much. That's fantastic that you send people to us. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I hear um, we have a mutual friend. Yeah. Yeah, he's an old no, friend of mine. Yeah, he's great. We visit their group um, at least once a year. We try to, to get out there for their open rituals. Mm-hmm. They have a repast that they do that's really very nice, and and it's fun to see how another temple does. I'm so glad he's still doing that. I know exactly the one you mean. I uh, I've been thinking about bringing that ceremony back here at the LA Sanctuary. Oh yes, it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful ceremony. Touch. <laughs> he, he his philosophy at one point was that you know the scripts are basically a backbone, and then you know if the spirit moves you to take it in a different direction, just let it go. You know. And then, of course, there were other, you know, deus officers who was like, no, no, you have to stick with the script. So <laughs> That's, uh, that, that is one thing that I love about his work. Um, you know, he very, very much goes to the flow and really does kind of let spirit move him. Yeah. Um, it is great to watch. Absolutely. Very cool. Any plans for the future? Got um, a lot coming up next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, got books out. Online classes are coming out. We may be doing some things via Skype as well. Nice. Um, we're also working on opening a new temple um, for those who are um, struggling with self-initiation or who have been astrally initiated um, and they need some more guidance or initial information um, on really kind of what to do and, and how to go about this path for those who, who aren't initiated. Um, and, you know, the self-initiation book, although it's phenomenal, can only take you so far. Um, so we really kind of want to be a platform and a basis for other people to really kind of ask questions. Um, we kind of started the shop as a means of doing so as well. Um, we really just kind of wanted to be uh, the medicine man and woman that other people came to when they needed things and needed help and guidance. Um, so we've now got that coming in the works here pretty quickly. Um, and that will be all online. So um, those who, again, are needing some additional help, we will be there. Um, and then we also have, um, again, a bunch of other classes at the shop and, and things coming on. I have my herbalism 
course that's coming up as well. So if you're in the Denver area, please check it out. Have a lot of fun. Um, we also do a lot of occasional rituals here and there that we open to the public or to some friends. So keep your eye out for that as well. Very cool. Now you said you're opening a second temple. Is is that in a different area? Actually, well, we, we do have another temple already in Salt Lake. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, uh, an extension temple, one of our sister temples out there. And then we're opening the third um, oh. in Colorado Springs as well. Okay, nice. I look forward to yeah, hearing about Yeah, so that. we're doing quite a bit. And you guys are connected to the Thuban Unified Golden Dawn as well. Yes, we are. Yes, is great, and, and everybody up there. So there's members of, uh, for example, the Open Source Order and a few other orders that, if they're in town, they would be able to attend the ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody is in town, please let us know. We do have um, temple ceremonies twice a month. Um, if you have any members of the Unified Order with us. Sounds great. I look forward to seeing a Golden Dawn Meets Here sign right up there with the Kiwanis Club and the Mason sign uh, in some of these towns. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on the Esoterra Nerd Podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. very much, Mariana for sharing your insight and your presence here with us tonight on the Esoteric Podcast. And now, we'll have a brief intermission. Welcome back to part two of our one-part interview with very honored Sor, Mim, and very honored Preter and Tio. And so, without further ado, Fratres et Sorores, I present to you, very honored Preter and Tio. In the divine name, I hail, I invoke thee. Greetings, Frater. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Greetings, Frater. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, so what's new with Temple Thoth, Amun-Ra? Um, you know, just moving along. We've been growing like crazy. We uh, uh, have had to add a second initiation meeting each month to be able to have people move through faster than six months at a time. So nice. uh, we're, uh, we're growing and uh, things are going well. Very cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. So I hear there's going to be a third temple soon. We hope so. Yeah, we still need a couple more members, but um, we have uh, we have a good core of members in Colorado Springs with a uh, I think we're at three new probationers down there. So if all three of those probationers go through, they'll have enough people to uh, to open up a new temple down there. So uh, I heard that you had a good uh, an alchemy workshop a couple months ago. My friend Drew attended. Yeah, yeah, we. Um, I just finished uh, my Alchemy One class round again. Um, starting another one in January. Uh, it's a it's a basically a spagyrics class. Uh, we go through the process of making an alchemical tincture, um, mm -hmm. 
And then all along that way, there's uh, personal development meditations and rituals and exercises um, that you work on to mirror within yourself the same process that's going on within your tincture. Yeah, I've I've heard that lined up with the various grades in in various ways. I I find that pretty fascinating. Now, if you if you don't mind uh, reminding me, there's the first stage where everything you have the the substance or the matter, and it's uh, it's like for example the dried leaves, let's say, and then on the other hand you have your mercury or your water that it's going to act as mercury. Now you you extract the sulfur out of the you, you separate the sulfur from the salt into the mercury. Correct. We actually use um, I use a white uh, colorless brandy in our classes. Okay. Uh, brandy being a fruit of the vine. Um, gives more of spiritual significance than something like vodka that's, you know, made from right. various types of grain. So uh, brandy is my alcohol of choice. Uh, the only time I usually don't use brandy is if I'm making a tincture that's going to be purely medicinal um, and I really want to extract the maximum amount of oils uh, or sulfurs. Um, then I'll, I'll occasionally use Everclear for something like that, but that's right. a- I'm doing a purely medicinal tincture. If I'm doing a tincture that's going to be, you know, possibly used for medicinal, but also used for spiritual, mental, or physical benefits, then I'll uh, I'll typically use brandy. So, how would you say that that process in particular would reflect on a spiritual level? <laughs> so funny you ask, because I actually did my I actually wrote my portal thesis on the process of alchemy through the soul um, throughout nice. and on grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outer order grades. So, um, you know, when you're when you're working with a tincture, you're basically we're extracting the sulfur, or the oils from the herb, just as you mentioned, and then we have we're left over with the salts. And so many tinctures that you might buy at like, I mean, around here even grocery stores like King Supers actually sells tinctures. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many places that are selling tinctures now, um, but they're just the oils, um, and, and that's it. Whereas when we look at you know, from a spagyric standpoint, when we ingest those tinctures, we don't want just the mental benefits from the sulfur. We want the physical benefits from the salt, and we want the spiritual benefits from the uh, from the mercury, and we want all of that when we ingest those tinctures. So once we extract the oils, we're left with just the salt, which is just basically a bunch of dead leaves, right? That right. And had the oils extracted. Well, so what we want to do is we want to uh, break those down, and we want to elevate that salt to a higher vibrational level so that when we re-add it to the tincture, it's functioning at a higher level, um, just as the mental and spiritual constituents are. So we do that through a process of breaking it down and then building it up. And that building up is similar to things we go through in the Golden Dawn, a baptism by fire, a baptism by water to allow it to dissolve and then to have it recrystallize into a new substance. And that new substance is what's added back into the tincture to add the physical salts back in. So, of course, you can probably see the uh, allegory there. When you're doing this in an alchemical perspective and the changes that you want to go on within you, let's say that you're making a tincture for communication. Maybe you have some communication issues and you want to be able to, you know, stand up to your boss and, and, you know, be able to communicate at work more effectively. So when you break down the salts, you're actually seeing that bad communication within yourself breaking down. And then as you put the salts through the baptism by fire and you're burning them, 
you're seeing that bad communication evaporate with the smoke and what's left behind is the good communication. And then we dissolve it in water and that's like, it's sort of like muscle memory or, or developing a habit where it's dissolved into us now. And we're doing that when we dissolve the herb into the water. And then when it recrystallizes, it comes back into, you know, its most pure form, which is what we want. We want that communication to be pure. Right. So then we re-add that back into our communication tincture. Maybe lavender is a, a good one that we would use for that. Um, we re-add that back in there. And now our tincture not only has the alcohol, which is the mercury, the, uh, you know, the oils from our herb, which is the sulfur, but it also has the physical constituents that have been raised to a higher level and re-added back in so that we can reap the, the full benefits from it. It's very holistic. You know, we're dealing with the healing of a whole organism, not just one aspect of it. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I, um, I was thinking the, the uh, sulfur might be likened to kind of the uniqueness or the unique flavor uh, you know, the soul, the S-O-U-L. Exactly. And then the mercury, in this case, it reminds me of, you know, it, it, as as enacted by, you know, a hierophant coming down and and holding the hand of the candidate and all of these things as, as a way of sort of play acting a process that goes on with the inner guru, the, the higher self that you know, as it were in, in, in symbolism descends, but I think that maybe informed a little bit by modern science, you could say it's maybe something in the neocortex that descends into the hypothalamus to look at the sulfur essence of the emotional body and separate it out from the imprints made upon the physical, uh, the salt, the... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going in a crazy direction, but I, <laughs> I'm just throwing throwing a few ideas out there to see if they stick. Passes goes down the path of Samak and assumes the the higher self of the candidate, um, and then proceeds to the altar. They're basically you could look at it as the fact that they are taking the sulfur, the unique identity of that candidate, and then presenting it to them when they take their obligation at the altar. Hmm. Just one way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, there's many alchemical points in the, in the, just in the zero zero, much less all the rest of the grades that you can, you know, you can look at each one of those through a different filter and kind of see a different process going on. Seems like there's a, a recurring theme of giving, giving something up, but then getting it back afterward, uh, but better. Yeah, transformed and purified. Yeah, for sure. Like in the portal initiation, giving up your name, yet then receiving it in five six, you know, as a as a whole new blossoming of a name, or in a way, giving up control. The uh, the nefesh, the body, and that 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 animal soul that's connected to the body has to give surrender control to the sentinel, to the hegemon, and so on and be blind and, and be led and, and all of that in order to have it given back to them at the end. It's like having the, the senses taken away, having the elements taken away, but then when they're given back at the end, they're sacred and they're sanctified and air is now the scent of a rose and water is now sacred wine and so on. Yeah, it's interesting you say that too because we've had discussions in our order 
um, about mottos that everybody, and I'm sure you know this as well, that everybody finds that as they go through the Golden Dawn path that they actually grow to fit their motto more and more, and their motto just means more and more to them as they travel. Yeah. And then to see the look on somebody's face uh, in the portal ceremony when they give that up, um, it's sometimes it's devastating to people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, no matter how many times you say, well, you know, you're going to take a new motto, you know, you'll, you'll have a new thing to fulfill. Um, that's, it's just part of the process. It's still a very, you know, it's like losing a, a hand or, you know, a, a limb of some kind where you feel almost like you're missing a part of yourself that right. you have and, to give that up. And yet, given the whole context of, you know, folding the four elements in toward the center, like the the corrosive cross at the base of Venus folding in to the center so that it can unfold as the circle itself and finally be the sun that it's been desiring all this time. And similarly, we're giving up our... our our individual separate selves to this fire while every, all the officers are vibrating all the the names of the of the god man and you know like the uh ani becoming you know giving up ani in order to become osiris ani or osiris ramses or osiris sean or edward <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's beautiful that's awesome yeah it's a beautiful system how how did you get started by the way with uh with magic you know, I was raised uh, I was raised Mormon, um, and uh, was for uh, basically until my Saturn return. I was twenty, almost to the month my Saturn return. I was twenty eight in a few months, and mm-hmm. uh, I just decided on my own that that wasn't my path any longer. Um, I spent a couple of years delving into a little bit of tarot some runes, you know, just some different metaphysical aspects. And I uh, was actually, I lived in a small town in Colorado, uh, drove up to Colorado Springs for a work event and was perusing a Barnes & Noble and picked up Regardie's Black Book and started flipping through it. And, you know, it reached a hand right out of it and grabbed onto my brain and just pulled me in. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know... I just felt this pull towards it. Of course, I lived in a really small town. There wasn't anything like that. Uh, of course, I bought the book, but trying to delve into that without much help uh, doesn't do a whole lot for you unless you're a lot more intelligent than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of drifted around, you know, hit some internet news groups, uh, which, you know, those are fickle as well. At best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I finally moved to Denver, um, found somebody else who uh, practiced Golden Dawn up here and had had some other teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met him, started doing some work with him. Um, went and visited uh, Pat Zaleski when he came to Canada back in 2006, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, went and visited Pat up there um, and started uh, being a member of his course that he does, his correspondence course. Um, so learned some from Pat. Uh, and then met a few other guys who had moved to Denver and one had actually gone the self-initiation route. One was a member of another established order mm-hmm. and we just kind of started doing work together and literally within about six weeks of us just meeting together privately together to do work, we all of a sudden had three, three or four people going, Hey, 
weird you guys are doing Golden Dawn work. Can we come help you? Can we come join you? <laughs> we're like, where did you hear this from? We haven't, we're not, we weren't advertising or anything. So we had enough people kind of, I guess, banging the doors down, literally. Um, we said, we well, maybe. not talk about Fight Club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we just decided, well, maybe we should do this, you know, the official way and uh, start it as an order. So the three of us uh, kind of drafted up a constitution and uh, established bylaws and started meeting a little more officially as a temple. And, uh, you know, some 70-some initiations later, here we are. You probably heard the episode uh, a, a few weeks ago. We spoke to Jonah about uh, he had come the other way. He was coming from a Golden Dawn background, and then he was shown the Mormon church and looked at it for the first time from that point of view. I did. I listened to that one. Very interesting. I I kept hearing you guys talk about it. And of course, you know, I was raised Mormon. So a lot of things, I lived in Utah for a few years and a lot of things you guys were talking about. I was like, oh, I know that. <laughs> um, you guys were talking about the Salt Lake Temple and how they went to install air conditioning units and all the conduits were already in place and, and the elevator shafts were already right. there. Yeah, that's, I mean, supposedly that's true, um, that there were all kinds of holes left in the foundations um, that nobody knew about. And when they went to run air conditioning and put in elevators, all of the, you know, they didn't have to do any major construction at all to put in those kinds of things. Wow. Um, okay. I'm glad that's true because that was just something I heard from my mom, but I didn't know where she got it. <laughs> yeah. One of the more interesting things is that the Salt Lake Temple actually sits on um, like 13, um, granite rollers. Um, so they're something like 10 feet tall, mm -hmm. um, and around, and it was, it was, uh, late 1800s earthquake proofing. Oh, wow. Um, nothing like that had ever been seen. So the temple literally sits on these rollers, um, kind of like a conveyor belt rollers. Yeah. And an earthquake happens, the temple will just shift and roll on the rollers and not do damage to the building itself. That's great. Very interesting. Yeah, so there's some really interesting things about it, for sure. Yeah, they. I mean, they were definitely the most progressive and interesting thing going on at the time, it seems. Yeah, and, you know, I, one of my favorite things to talk about is, you know, Joseph Smith, he knew his Kabbalah. I don't know where he yeah. learned it from or he learned it from, but... There is so much Kabbalistic symbolism um, in, the, in the Mormon church and their teachings uh, that it's, you know, if you know anything about Kabbalah and you hear or read it, it's like, whoa, that's totally Kabbalah. <laughs> that's it might be right interesting to look into the lodge that he came from in New York or New Jersey or wherever it was. Yeah, the Masonic lodges back then were, were not nearly as sort of structured as they are nowadays. So you might have had, you know, nowadays we have the Blue Lodge Masonry and then there's the York Rite, the Scottish Rite, you know, right. very specific that are done. Back then, you kind of did whatever degrees you were taught. So you might have a lodge that did, you know, a handful of other degrees past the first three, hmm. but they weren't really pure York Rite or Scottish Rite. You kind of had a little more of just a very dynamic flavor if you will, of the different degrees that they did. So it's really hard to tell unless they still had their minutes all the way back then, exactly what degrees. Right, yeah. I mean, he had. might have been just picking up on where somebody else left off. Right. His teacher, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And then his, you know, his family was pretty steeped in folk magic as well. 
Um, you know, he died with a Jupiter talisman in his pocket. There's uh, pictures. There's a great. There's a great book that's very scholarly. It's kind of a boring read, but it's very interesting if you're interested in, uh, you know, Mormonism and how it's related to magic. It's called um, Mormonism and the Magical World View. I don't recall the author off the top of my head, but it's a it's a very scholarly work, and they have a lot of pictures in there of like the the Joseph Smith family athame uh, that was his. Um, they have pictures of his Joseph Smith's Jupiter talisman that he had. Um, there's a lot of really, really interesting things in that book as well. Now, your temple uh, originated the Sesame Street characters as Third Order. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> we we did indeed. Um, we you know it's funny we 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 had a blog for a while and our ISP crashed and we lost most of our blog entries. Had a few of them left, but we always tried to do a, we just kind of restarted it again, actually. I just made the first regular post last week, or what will hopefully be a regular post. Um, but we always tried to do something fun and creative for um, April Fool's Day. Oh, right on. And more often than not, we tended to try to um, sort of poke fun at ourselves, at what was currently going on in the Golden Dawn community at the time. Yeah. You know, the drama. So right. not really pointed to any one individual uh, per se, but, you know, something funny would happen. Lightening and people the mood. Up and yeah. up about it. And it was like, really? We're going to argue about this? Okay, fine. We'll do a funny blog post on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we um, we did originate the Sesame Street characters as God, as the true the, God. The one us. true, authentic, <laughs> guaranteed. <Exactly. laughs> yeah. That actually came after the revelation of the true secret chiefs. I don't know if you saw that post. Oh, I, I think I'm mixing them up in my mind. So the, the Sesame Street officers were the neophyte officers. But what, what was the one about the secret chiefs? Well, there was a visitation that we received um, from the true secret chiefs of the order, mm-hmm. um, which as you read through the post, you'll find um, equated to Larry Curley and Moe. <laughs> From what I know of of, of early uh, Tong Dynasty Zen spirituality, that rings totally true. <laughs> <laughs> Not that far off base. Yeah, so that was our. I think that was our first April Fool's blog post. Was the revelation of the true secret chiefs, and then that was followed by the revelation of the true god forms of the zero zero. And yeah. Snuffleupagus was uh, he was high up there. He is. He is the. He is the true one. True God form of the secret chiefs. Oh, right on. Because <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody sees him, except for Kermit, right? Right or uh, Big Bird. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. It, it was. Um, oh, what was it? Thirty years ago. Uh, it was. It was on Drew's birthday. Thirty years ago, whatever day that was. It was a couple weeks ago. That was when when they revealed Snuffleupagus to the rest of Sesame Street. And it was the first first time anybody had ever seen him. Because up until that point, every time Big Bird says Snuffleupagus, they'd all roll their eyes and say, okay, his imaginary friend Snuffleupagus again. He's like, no, no, he's a real guy. Big Bird is apparently the Mathers of the Sesame Street world. Yeah, 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 the only one with the the real connection to the Third Order. (laughs) No, we like um, to have fun. When when Snuffleupagus revealed himself, that must have been Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know we we we're very serious about our ritual. We're very serious about initiations. Um, but you know, 
when somebody, you know, spills candle wax all over the floor or, you know, something, it's a good laugh. We, we yeah. try to have fun with what we do as well. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm all for that. That's the point. And yeah, to have but to be able to have both. I mean, I think sometimes people get locked into seriousness, and that's no fun. But then other times people get locked into frivolity, and it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Aren't we going to have a serious ritual? So it's nice when you can be able to say, okay, it's serious time, everybody. All right, let's get serious. And then, okay, exactly. now the ritual's done. Let's you know drink, be merry. Yep, I've been in a I've been in groups before where you know rather than opening and doing real magical work, it was ended up being a, you know, basically a gossip session on whatever the latest hullabaloo in the magical world was. And it's right. like, you know, that's fun for about five, five or ten minutes while everybody's joking and getting ready. But there comes a time when, you know, we're here to do magical work and try to accomplish the great work. So yeah. love your podcast. Um, oh, thank you lo- so much. Love, love hearing from a lot of a variety of people and some who are still in the Golden Dawn, some who have moved on to other paths. It's always very interesting to hear what other people are doing, whether you know they're in your path or you know used to be and have moved on yeah. to something else. So I, I really enjoy listening to it. It's uh, it's very enlightening um, and very. It's sort of like making friends without really knowing them yet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you well, yeah, to know I, some people and. I post links to people's uh, profiles usually on the descriptions, hoping they'll click through and befriend each other. And so there's right. always that. <laughs> our our store is, uh, I think, Sormim. Julie might have mentioned it. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to try doing posting a lot of our classes online starting next year. So we're going to be video recording all of our classes um, and posting them into a section on our website where people can access those. Um, we run a monthly Golden Dawn class. We have a, uh, a monthly witchcraft class, um, a monthly Kabbalah class. So a lot of those classes we'll put up uh, um, and let people you know, listen in on those classes. And then we'd like to get to the point where we're doing sort of a live, more interactive thing with Skype um, where people can ask questions and literally be a part of the class without just being physically present. So we've got a lot of, a lot of cool stuff like that going on that uh, we hope people get a lot of value out of. Nice. Now, um, maybe you can help clear up for me. I, I went to a couple of years of uh, weekly classes in a Gardnerian Wiccan uh, school, and so I'm pretty familiar with that. Do you? I, I, so I hear people uh, differentiate between Wicca and traditional witchcraft. Do you? Um, do you have any insight into traditional witchcraft and its perhaps its roots? Well, I, I guess Julie and I have had this conversation before too. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I guess the thing I would say is that you know traditional witchcraft is almost part a part of shamanism. Um, you know, they were the village medicine woman advisor uh, that people went to for healing right. or banishing spirits. You know, whatever whatever they needed, um, and that's sort of where the traditional witchcraft came from. It's much more nature-based. It's much more dynamic. Um, not a lot of ceremony. Things tend to be much more short and sweet, if you will. Um, yeah. Whereas opposed to you know Wicca, which was has all that Golden Dawn influence. Yeah, Golden Dawn light, if you will. Um, yeah. <laughs> Watchtower rituals, lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram, um, some of those things that he drew and then added in the sort of religious philosophy of the Lord and the Lady. Um, so you have all of that, whereas witchcraft deals much more with working with spirits, nature spirits in particular, um, but also yeah. some others. That's why they 
got the label of working with Satan or being, you know, the devil's whores um, because they worked with spirits. And so, you know, in the old Puritan mindset, any spirit that wasn't God was Satan. Right. So that's where they kind of got that label from. But traditional witchcraft is, you know, fairly shamanistic, if you want to use that word. Um, they were just. It might even be a very appropriate word, considering how much crossover there was back then. I mean, back then the uh, the Native American cultures were still very much alive and well. By back then, I mean the times of the Salem witch trials and whatnot, uh-huh. um, where there was, from what I understand, and I'll have to go back and research this again. There was some connection and I forget which tribe it was, between people who were kind of shell-shocked by uh, a, a war that had taken place or a battle that had taken place um, with a Native American tribe and then were sent back to Salem and had to live among the normal people that hadn't been through that trauma. And so there was you know, a lot of paranoia and a lot of weird, crazy people kind of acting, acting out. Um, but there were people that were being raised by Native American tribes. There was a woman who was like the first woman to have facial ta- uh, p- tattoos, who was a very proper looking, you know, Queen Anne period, uh, uh, well-dressed, you know, white girl with facial tattoos from the, uh, from the Mohawks or from one of those tribes. So right. I don't know. It just makes me think that maybe there might've been some actual, someone learned this stuff from their Native American grandmother kind of thing. Uh, Oh, yeah, and I'm sure there was. Um, I, we tend to use the word shamanism a lot to denote sort of more of a tribal uh, perspective, you know, the shamanistic practices of, you know, the voodoo in, from, from Africa, um, mm-hmm. we call shamanism, but then there's also the very specific Native American shamanism. Right, um, it's okay, It's kind of what people equate to, but uh, so when I say witchcraft is a little more shamanistic, not so much Native American, but just more... Uh, nature and or culture based um, right. practices. Have you had a look at um, Alejandro Jodorowsky's book Psychomagic? I have not. I've I, uh, I've read a little bit about him actually just in the last few months, but uh, I haven't I haven't read that. It's a very interesting read. It's an interview with him uh-huh. um, ab- about this. Uh, it, it's it's sort of it, it kind of. I mean, people know him as the. Uh, the director, uh, uh, you know, of, of very surreal movies, um, which is, is the tied in. It almost was. <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh, that would have been great. But the uh, and then he had these these sort of performances, these these street performances back in the day in Paris and other places. Um, and he started out as a Chilean poet, but by that, I guess there that was a phenomenon where you know he gave the example that he walked from in a straight line from one end of the city to the other. And uh, if he had to go through someone's house, they'd understand because they knew about poets. <laughs> <laughs> but he was in, he's talking about psychomagic as he basically, he worked with a shaman in um, Mexico city. I don't know if shaman's the right word, but she was channeling something that was allowing her to be a healer. And, um, so he was assisting her with that, and that was one of his influences. And uh, down the road, he, he'll go into this intuitive space, and someone will talk to him about, you know, they'll come to him and say, I'm having this problem. Like, for example, someone says, uh, I'm, I feel alienated from my Filipino roots on my mom's side of the family, and I was raised by my dad, who was white, and I get depressed around Christmas every year. 
And so then Alejandro Jodorowsky would say, okay, take a papaya, go to the Philippines, find the place where your mother's family is from, plant the papaya on that land. That's your, that's your goal. And then they'd say, okay. And then sure enough, they go do that. And then they go to that land and it turns out their mother's side of the family, that's what their specialty is. They, they have a papaya farm like this. (laughs) And so, you know, like things like that. And then by planting it there, you know, and then it, it grew there on their mother's side of the land. They were accepted by their mother's side and they spent Christmas there. And it was just this, you know, it's very individualized, specific healing for that, for that person that, you know, African, Native American, it makes no difference. In this case, it was both Filipino and white was the culture being dealt with. But it, but the shamanism was what uh, was, you know, so, so that, that was the role that he was taking in that moment, I think. Sure. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, yeah, and that's, it's, a, it's a good read. That, that's, that's how I look at, you know, shamanism is sort of, you know, that culture, nature-based relationship as opposed to, Things like, and you know, Wicca tried to integrate some of that. Um, yeah. You know, people Make look at it as it's very earth based, um, yeah. as opposed to you know other parts of nature quite as much. But um, yeah, they yeah. took so the golden dawn outside. <laughs> very good analogy. <laughs> Which I always try to do. I, you know, sometimes I, it seems like I'm reinventing the wheel, going, we should bring in some Eastern element into this Victorian practice. And it's like, you know, people have done that before. You know, I was going around telling people they should do yoga before they do Golden Dawn. And it's like, you know, both Paul Foster Case and Rigardi said the same thing. It's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I always I'm take the long way. I try to take our members outside, um, you know, at least once a year. To a private place and have them uh, have them do their lesser ritual, the pentagram outdoors, because yeah. you don't get the same uh, vibrational feedback off of the walls. Yeah, that's true. As you do indoors, and it's like, okay, now understand the concept of sending your vibration out into the universe. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can be as loud as you want. There's nobody around. You don't have neighbors in your apartment or whatever you know issues you may have in the city let it out and see what that vibration really feels like. And that gives them a chance to go, wow, that was different. (laughs) Like, yes, now take that back to your house, use the same energy and vibration, just bring the volume down. So that's, that's an outdoor golden dawn lesson that I've conveyed to a lot of our, our members. I managed to, uh, I did an outdoor ceremony with, uh, I think there were probably about 10 people there, but we had a professional violinist standing between the pillars, um, improvising along with the vibration. And it was sort of a Gregorian style vibration. So it ended up being something that, you know, when people in the neighborhood would look up and see what we were doing over on the lawn, they'd just be like, oh, that's an interesting, some kind of play (laughs) that they're doing. (laughs) A good friend of ours is a Druid priest here in the Denver area, and uh, we went to his uh, his Samhain celebration, uh, celebrating the ancestors. And he's literally in like a little subdivision, and we're all out in his backyard chanting as loud as we can at like 10 o'clock at night on Halloween. I'm like, I wonder what the neighbors think when they look out their windows and can see right into their hair. Got a fire pit going, got a tent set up with all the ancestor altars. Well, it's Halloween. 
<laughs> There's some leeway. Gives, yeah, it gives us a, a waiver on that night. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today. Of course. Thanks for having me. I uh, really enjoyed it. Absolutely. I look forward to hearing about the new temple, and uh, hopefully uh, Janie and I will be able to you know, visit, come out on a road trip. We've got a bunch of people in, De- in Denver we got to hook up with, so we'll be able to meet in person at some point. Yeah, that would be awesome. Let us know. We'll, uh, if we're not having an official temple meeting, we'll uh, get it. We, we have enough space in our basement. We actually do, we do our elemental initiations uh, at our house, whereas we sublease a uh, facility for the neophyte meetings. But we can uh, nice. definitely put something together and uh, do some ritual. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Schroeder. Absolutely. Have a good day. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you then. I now declare this temple duly closed. Thank you both for coming on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, for bringing the fragrance of ye old magic shoppy, of sharing and the fraternity and secret handshakes of the Golden Dawn. I look forward to meeting you in person, and you are always welcome here at my sanctuary in Los Angeles. Cobbs on pet. Kongs on pax. Light in extension. Special thanks to Aster Piazzola for composing the sweet Punta del Este. For the new segments, Golden Dawnpedia. Thank you, Tom Cruise, for the primal scream calling out for your auditor. The primal tech support scream. Special thanks to Brian Dahl. Special thanks to the monks at Mount Koyasan. And lastly, most important, thank you to you. Yes, a Terra nerd listening to this podcast once again. Talk to you soon. Good night.